What is up, guys? Welcome to the Intensity Youth Podcast. My name is Kyle, and I serve as the pastor of Intensity Youth. Thanks for listening in today. If you haven't yet done so, definitely hit that subscribe button. That way, anytime we release a new episode, you will be automatically updated of when that episode is available. Today's podcast is a recording of my amazing wife, Natasha, as she spoke at our most recent youth encounter. Now, you will notice over the course of this podcast differences in quality of sound, and I do apologize for this and ask for your patience as we continue to work at bettering this podcast in the near future. Well, let's get right into it then. Shalom in your home. Kyle and I believe in being a role model. And a role model doesn't just show people how to do things right in good times, but also when when things aren't so great. And PK and I so want our life to be on display. We want to be these authentic leaders. And so we want to bring you guys inside our lives tonight. So often when people go through sucky things, they walk away from God and they walk towards alcohol and drugs and sex, but we want to show you that it's possible to cling to Jesus when it feels like he isn't around or when things get rough and when life just kind of throws a curveball at you. Because I don't want to see a Christian go through good stuff. I want to see a Christian go through bad stuff because that really shows how tight you are with God. And all of you guys have heard both of our stories individually, but recently our stories just got bigger and We originally thought that tonight was going to be the night that we were sharing this really happy news with you, Uh, but about uh, three weeks ago, uh, that good news kind of turned into bad news, and so here's kind of our story and what we've been going through. About two months ago, two and a half months ago, we found out that we were pregnant, and we were so excited. We figured out cool ways to tell our family and cool ways to tell our friends and the people that are close to us. And every decision that we made was now centered around this this little child. And it's crazy how attached you get just within like 24 hours of finding out we were pregnant. We were so attached to this baby. We were so excited to be parents and to go through this kind of next stage in life. And so we had this ultrasound and at this ultrasound, we were supposed to see the heartbeat. And so we were so excited to kind of see our baby for the first time and to see that heartbeat and to know that things were kind of healthy and moving along really well. And so we go into this ultrasound and the technician just has this really concerned look on her face. And she was just being so honest with us. She looks at us and said, Like, this doesn't look so good, guys. Like, I can't find this heartbeat. Like, you guys are miscarrying. And we just walked out of that doctor's office so devastated and just got into the car and bawled our eyes out. And we couldn't even handle calling our parents right away. And and then everyone that we had just told, we had to make that phone call and say like we just lost that child and and it's been such a roller coaster of just spending nights crying on the floor with each other and just learning how to mourn this child that we're never going to get to meet and um it was really really difficult and we're still on that journey of of being okay, and it was confirmed that it was a miscarriage. The baby died at just six weeks old, and 
But through this, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about God and about faith and about prayer and about ourselves. And we just want to share with you guys all of this. And and this message doesn't apply just to people going through miscarriages. It applies to every hurt and harm and storm and sucky thing that's going to come your way. And so I'm using so much scripture today. So get your Bible out. Get a notebook. If you're not going through something right now, you will. And that's not being harsh. That's reality. Because we live in this broken world and broken things are going to happen. And so I just want to pray. God, I thank you so much that you just so care about us and that you reach down your hand to us when we're hurting and broken and when things just seem so dark and we don't understand it. And I'm just so thankful for everything that you've given Kyle and I lately, that you've given us such peace during this. And, and it doesn't even make sense to have peace, but you've reached down your hand and you've given it to us and you've surrounded us with people who have been so supportive and caring. And God, I just pray that we would know how to cling to you when life sucks. Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at the story of when Jesus walks on water. And everyone thinks that this is just this Sunday school story about keeping your eyes on Jesus. But man, we have missed so much from this scripture. This story is about the disciples, people who followed Jesus literally everywhere, slept on the same rock as him, ate where he ate, watched him perform miracles on a daily basis. Like these are your classic church kids. And this is about their aha moment, the moment where they truly saw Jesus as Lord for the very first time, where they got it, where it wasn't just walking through life, seeing and doing cool things. It was like, wow, I'm doing life with the Savior, with the God of this universe, with the Creator, with Abba Father with the healer and the majesty, and it took a storm to realize all this. So here's my bottom line. So often we allow what we go through to define us. My dad walked away. Oh, my identity's fatherless. Diagnosed with an illness. My identity's the patient. My identity is sick. My parents divorced. I'm now the weed addict because that's what the stats say I'll be. But bottom line, the storms in life don't define you. They define just how good our God is. And so open your Bibles to Matthew 14, 22 to 36. I'm going to summarize what happened here. So right before the disciples get into the storm, the disciples and Jesus had just fed 10,000 people. If you include women and children, and they fed those 10,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. Like we just read that and we don't even think twice about it. Like 10,000 people, that's over half the Canadian Tire Center. Like imagine you praying over two popcorns and five hot dogs and you could feed more than half the stadium. Pretty sure you'd be on cloud nine. So the crowd was amazed, obviously. So they started chanting, be our king, be our king. And it wasn't a spiritual king they were talking about. They wanted him to be their political king. And the disciples joined in. So in Jesus' mind, he was like, hold up. Like he probably expected this from the crowds and crowds of people because they, they just didn't get it. They didn't get him. But now he realized that his disciples didn't get it either. Like these disciples literally followed him around everywhere and they didn't know who Jesus was. And so Jesus has this plan. He's going to put them into a storm so they can learn who he is. So Jesus pulled them aside and made them get into this boat. And that word made in Greek suggests a crisis. Because when Jesus' own disciples don't really get it, that's a crisis. And so Jesus gives this boat a shove and out they go. When evening came, they were in the middle of the lake. And in Mark, it says Jesus saw the disciples struggling in the waves. And eight hours later, Jesus shows up. You know, he never shows up when we want him to, right? 
But eight hours later, he shows up. And so the disciples are pretty cranky at this point. I mean, being in a storm for like eight hours, you'd probably be kind of bitter. And so the way Jesus shows up is by walking on the water. Have you ever asked yourself why he walked on water? Like, why didn't he just fly or just appear? But there's a reason, because Jesus doesn't do nothing for no reason. And so back then, there was this myth that the devil or hell lived at the bottom of the lake. And back then, when something is under your feet, it signifies that you have authority over that thing. And so by Jesus walking on water, he was demonstrating that he has authority over Satan. He has authority over darkness. That Satan is under Jesus' feet. And so these disciples are like freaking out. They thought Jesus was a ghost. They didn't even recognize him. And so Peter... I love Peter. He's such like this gutsy little fellow. And he's like, okay, God, if this is you, let me walk on the water. And so Jesus is like, all right. And so he steps on the lake and he walks on water, but he starts doubting because he sees Jesus and he sees the waves. And so it causes him to sink. And I always like, I'm such a visual person. And so I'm picturing this entire thing in my head. And like, what are the other disciples thinking? They're probably like, Peter, you're an idiot. But in, on the other hand, they're probably like, yeah, you know what? These waves are huge. Like, I'm doubting too. And so Jesus doesn't stand there just, like, watching this dude drown. Um, he's probably thinking, like, oh, my goodness, do you really not know who I am? Like, like I can save you in, like, literally a point two seconds. And so he's like, you a little faith. Like, why are you doubting? And so he puts Peter back in the boat, calms everyone down, and then he stops the storm. And the disciples have this aha moment where they said for the first time, okay, these guys were the ones who were walking with Jesus everywhere, but this was the first time that they're like, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. It took a storm for them to know who he really is. And then the boat got to the other side, and Jesus and his disciples carried on with ministry. And so here's some things that this teaches us about storms. And like, why is this important? Why is it important to learn about storms and, and how to deal with them? And my answer is because look at our world right now. There, there's a victim on both sides of the gun because hurting people hurt people. And a lot of people weren't taught how to deal with their storms. A lot of people weren't brought to Jesus. And our world is hurting and broken out there for those two reasons. And so I think this is a pretty big reason why this is important tonight. And so here's number one. You guys are taking notes. Here's the first big number one. Name your storm. It really helps to put a name on it. There's three types of storms in life. There's one, storms of correction. And so I think of Jonah. So Jonah, God had told Jonah, okay, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach there. And Jonah was like, heck no, those people are nuts. They're going to kill me. And so he goes on this boat, literally runs in the opposite direction of what God wanted him to do. And you guys know the story. Like, he gets eaten by a whip. So it literally took... Jonah to be in the belly of a whale to be like, okay, God, I'll obey you. And so those are storms of correction. Jonah was put in a really sucky situation because so that God could steer him into the direction he wanted him in. Two, there's storms of perfection. When I was in grade 12, I really felt God say, you need to switch high schools. You need to go there and you need to teach people about Jesus. And that was such a storm. It was such a, the, one of the hardest years of my high school career, but God was perfecting me. He was making me stronger. He was teaching me how to teach people about Jesus. And this, the disciples were in this kind of storm as well. They were faithfully following God. They obediently got in the boat that put them in the storm. 
But the purpose of this was for them to grow closer to Jesus. Jesus knew this storm was coming. But they were safer in the storm, in God's will, than out on the shore, out of God's will. They, God was testing their faith. He was building Jesus' identity in them. Because it's on the tough days that you get stronger. It's really easy to follow Jesus when life is good. But when it's hard, that's when it counts. And they could have let that storm become their identity. Oh, we're washed up skeletons. We're going to die. Not going to make it. But instead, they learned what Jesus' identity is. And that is the Son of God. Never judge your security on your circumstance. And the last one is storms of brokenness. Rape, divorce, murder. Back when God created humans, he created this world with free will. He could have made us all robots that just, like, had no choice but to love him. But, I mean, imagine you had this boy or this girl that you really, really like. And what would mean more to you? Would it mean more to you for to, like, strike this, like, poison in them that made them love you and do whatever you want and say nice things to you? Or does it mean more when they just automatically love you for you and, and they come to you and they want to do nice things. Well, God thinks the same way. He thought us willingly on our choice coming to him meant more than making us all robots. But with that choice comes free will. And with free will, that meant brokenness and sin lives here too. God doesn't create the storms. His will isn't for divorce. The Bible says God hates divorce. His will isn't for anyone to be raped or hurt or broken. But it's because broken and messed up people live here. Like I said, there's a victim on both sides of the gun. And, and if we're honest with yourself, we're all messy and broken. We're never going to be perfect. And we desperately need Jesus. So name your storm. If you guys feel like you're hitting rock bottom, this might just be the tool that God is using to get you right on track. But if you're in a storm of brokenness, please I've done this before, but don't yell and blame at God, because God isn't in the business of hurt and pain and brokenness. He's in the business of love and joy and peace and justice. Number two, take in the peace. Jesus calmed the disciples before he stopped the storm. If he just kind of stopped the storm and said, okay, guys, like, come here, come here, I got you, like, don't cry, it's going to be okay, like... Like, he's all holding them and calming them down. We wouldn't grow. We wouldn't get stronger if he just showed up right away. We wouldn't learn. But God is going to give you peace while it's still raining. Two days after the ultrasound tech told us that there was no heartbeat, we were sitting in the doctor's office, and you have to kind of go through options on how you want this thing to happen. And, and peace just so filled that doctor's office. We were so disappointed and so upset, but there was just this calm, just this hush in the doctor's office. And, you know, peace in God doesn't mean that you're not crying or you're not hurting or you're not broken. That's not what peace is. But peace is this trust in God that even though you can't see anything, you know that he has this in his hands. I know that we were going to be okay, even though we were just the beginning of this thing. God gives peace that goes way beyond what we're ever going to understand. You're going to get peace when it makes no sense to have peace. Like your world is literally crashing down and falling apart, and yet you're peaceful. It doesn't make sense, but that is a blessing, and God is going to give that to you. Actually, he promises that he's going to give that to you. Number three. This, this was a big one for me. 
And this is actually the title of my message. It's Get Your Hopes Up. Number three, get your hopes up. Peter asked Jesus, if this is really you, God, let me walk on water. And as he stepped out on the boat, Peter saw two options. He saw Jesus, and he saw the giant waves. And by seeing the giant waves, that caused him to drown, that caused him to doubt. And seeing two waves made him begin to sink. We need to see one way. We need to see Jesus. Four days after we got, like Kyle said, the doctor called us into, into his office immediately because he had this new news. And he's like, I've never seen this before. Like, I'm 99% sure that you guys are going to miscarry. But there's like, like, my doctor's a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. And he's like, this could be a miracle. But like, don't be disappointed. And so, you guys all know my past. Like I shared, I shared a couple times with you guys, but I've always been a part of the stats since I was a kid. I was in the 50% of kids whose parents get divorced. I was the one in 20 who's gonna experience death of a parent. I was in the 50% of families that are blended and I was the one in six who get sexually assaulted. I was always the one in something. And so I just, I was like, you know what? Why wouldn't I be the 20% of pregnancies that end in miscarriage? Why wouldn't I be? I've been part of the stats my whole life. Why is it going to change now? And God just so dropped this on me in this humbling moment of, you can't base your theology off your experience. I was seeing two ways instead of one. I was seeing this dead child, and I was seeing Jesus. And I didn't want to get disappointed. I didn't want to have to go through, you know, believing in this miracle and having to grieve this child all over again. But I pushed myself. Don't see the dead child and see Jesus. Just see Jesus. I prayed to have the faith the size of a mustard seed. I remember sitting on my bed and being like, God, I'm probably at a quarter of a mustard seed, but can you take that? And I prayed and I believed for a miracle. I literally prayed every five seconds, God, breathe life into this child. Breathe life into this child. And if it meant that I would have to grieve this baby all over again, it'd be worth it. It's worth it for a miracle. And I so believed that this baby was alive. And that we just, that God performed this miracle and it was going to be this, this big thing. And, and I got my hopes up. Because faith is a risk. And the very next day, like literally less than 24 hours later, it was confirmed that the baby had been dead for three weeks. And I had to grieve all over again. But getting our hopes up wasn't for nothing. It brought us to this new depth in Jesus. It brought me to this faith level that I never really quite entered before. And that is worth it. Do you guys remember the story in the Bible of the woman who bled for 12 years? Such a good story. And God just brought me to this one. She tried everything. She spent, the Bible says she literally spent all she had on trying to get healing for this. She got her hopes up that she would be healed. If you're going to spend all your money again and again and again, you were believing and hoping for this miracle. And she heard that Jesus was in town. And I bet she had this decision to make. Am I going to get my hopes up? There's going to be a huge crowd. Like, am I even going to get close enough? Will I see him? Do I want to go through the disappointment of not being healed again? 
but she got her hopes up. She fought through that crowd and crowds of people, and this type of disease made you an outcast. So I bet she got some nasty comments and some hurtful glares as she was running to Jesus. She got her hopes up, and all she did was touch the edge of Jesus' cloak, and she was healed. And that was so worth getting her hopes up for. And Jesus said, it was your faith that just healed you. It was your faith. It wasn't anything else. It was your faith. And her story and my story are quite different. Hers ended up in a miracle. And ours did end up in a lot of little miracles. Not the one that we were hoping for. But God did heal our baby, but he did heal Kyle and I's heart. And I count that as a miracle. Never discount the small miracles that God brings. We only see miracles one way, and if it doesn't happen that way, we don't see it as a miracle. But tiny miracles are happening on a daily basis. We brought life into this world, which is a miracle in itself. And it's a miracle that, you know, our baby, first time, opened its eyes, it got to see Jesus. That baby has this perfect life. The doctors thought that there was um, a cancer that caused the baby to die, and which meant that I would have to go through tons and tons of testing and doctor's appointments and injections, and, and we got the results about a week ago, and it wasn't that at all. I'm counting that as a miracle, that I don't have to go through anything because this was just a normal pregnancy. And so be grateful for those small miracles that happen. Number four, your situation has to look impossible or you would never know it was a miracle. If you look at all the miracles in the Bible, each one looked totally impossible. People who had lived with diseases for literally all their lives, so much so that they were considered outcasts and they weren't even allowed in their own town. There was a little girl who was pronounced dead. Lazarus was pronounced dead. He was literally buried in grave clothes. And we think that God shows up late. He doesn't. It had to look impossible for us to know that this is a miracle. He is literally always right on time. And because of the impossibility of the situation, Jesus' name was brought everywhere. Everyone in those towns were saying, oh my goodness, this is the son of God. Like he performed a miracle. It had to look impossible for it to be a miracle. Number five, sit with grief. As a kid, I was the type of person that wanted to be perfect at everything. I always thought in my head, okay, what's the perfect thing to say here and the perfect thing to say there? What's the perfect thing to do here? And so when I lost my dad and went through kind of everything else, I would just numb myself so that I could be sad for the right amount of time and get over it at the right amount of time, or according to the people who were telling me it was the right amount of time. So the wrong way of doing things. Don't let anyone tell you how to grieve. I remember thinking in my head, like people were coming up to me being like, you are not handling your father dying very well. And in my head, I'm like, it's not like I practiced for this. Like, don't let anyone tell you how to grieve, how long you should, how short you should. Don't let anyone tell you how to do that. Recently, someone told me, sit with grief. And so this time around, Kyla and I sat with grief. 
And I have a picture on the computer. I can't see who's back there. But I picture grief like one of these guys. Don't make fun of me. Can you guys pull that picture up? Can you find it? Thank you, Lucas. And again, don't make fun of me, but this is how I picture grief. <laughs> like one of these guys. Okay? And so you need to sit with grief in your bedroom or in your living room. You need to cry to grief. You need to yell at grief. You need to ask why to grief. And eventually grief will leave your bedroom or your living room. And it won't be there anymore. But if you numb yourself and ignore grief, then it is going to follow you everywhere for the rest of your life. And it's going to look like bitterness and anger inside of you. And everyone needs to sit with grief for a different amount of time. So don't worry about people pleasing and being perfect and, you know, grieving for not too short but not too long. This is your life and your future. Deal with grief properly the first time coming from personal experience. Six, bear each other's burdens. Never, ever, 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 ever choose to go through something alone. We are not built for that. We need people. We had told our leaders we were pregnant the, the day before we found out we were miscarrying. And we told our parents weeks before that. And it, I'm so glad that we had people so happy and excited with us and then mourning with us because they went through this with us. Our leaders, your leaders, cooked us dinner for an entire week. Our neighbors brought us flowers. My mom came and cleaned my house and cooked us dinner. And although it was one of the toughest months we've ever had to go through, it's been so much easier because people have chosen to take some of the burden on themselves. We felt like Moses. Do you guys know the story of when Moses and the Israelites were in a war with the Amalekites? Moses had to keep his arms raised with a staff in them. And when his arms got tired, Aaron and Hur, they, got him, they pushed a rock over and said, you know, sit down on the rock. And they each held an arm up for him. Because it's really exhausting to hold your arms up for that long. And that took some of the weight. And that's what it feels like when you bear each other's burdens. We need each other. We can't keep things hidden and in secret. I've been there and I've done that. And the hurt and pain last a million times longer. Seven. There has to come a time when you let go. It's crazy how quickly you get attached to this unborn child that you've never met before. You don't know what they look like. You don't know their personality. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they talk. I was so attached. I was pregnant for nine weeks. I had this, you know, I was Googling what it looks like at that moment in this, this little embryo, like a centimeter big. It went everywhere with me. Every decision I made had that baby in mind. What I ate, what I did, our future, where our money was going. And I had to have surgery to get the baby out. And I think it was the day before I had surgery, I remember looking up at, at Kyle, and I was like, I don't want them to take it out. Like, like, this is my baby, this is mine, I don't want them to take it out. And it painted this picture for me that we can get so attached to our storms, we don't want to let go of them. 
We want to hold on to them longer. And maybe we like the attention that our storms bring us. Or maybe your storm is sin and you just can't forgive yourself. Watch this video. Hey, Kat. Jesus. Well, it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't expect to see you here. Whoa, I mean, what's that smell? Smell? Oh, um, well, that's my trash. I'm just I'm a little embarrassed about it. Oh, well, is that why you've been avoiding me? Avoiding you? I, I, I haven't really been avoiding you. I just, you know, I don't, I don't want to get close to you. I mean, I, I just, I don't want you to smell it. I'll take it, Kat. Come oh, on. no, 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 no. That's okay. I mean... I made it. It's my trash. You know, I should carry it. It's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, but Kat, I mean, this is my job. Right. I take people's trash. That's what I do, so... Right. Okay, well, maybe I could go and just clean it up a little bit, you know? And then I'll just come back. No, Kat, I don't need you to do that. Um... Okay? I'll take it from you so you don't have to carry the weight. Oh, well, I... Come on. Uh, uh, just, just hand it over. Uh, All right? Let go. Let go. Yeah? 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 Uh, How's that feel?
in the Bible. And basically, these ten lepers, when you had this disease, you weren't allowed in the town because you were considered unclean and just gross. And so they were outside of town, and they knew Jesus was coming. And so when they saw Jesus from far away, they started yelling at him. They started begging him, like, like God, you need to heal us. You need to heal us. Jesus, like, please come over here. They, the Bible says they were shouting and screaming at Jesus to come over. They were begging him, and Jesus went over, and, and he, he healed them. And only one of the ten lepers turned around to say thank you. In your head, just kind of name the one thing that you really need God to do. That one miracle that you really need. The, the healing that you really need. That one thing that you've been praying for for so long. It's been years and you finally get it. It happens. But after you get it, you just keep walking. You just go back to normal life. And you never turn around to thank the God who did that. Imagine what he feels when we do that. We need to turn around and be grateful. Even if the miracles don't come, like mine, I turned around for the help that I made. A lot of stuff could have gone wrong and it didn't. I turned around for Kyle, who was there, Literally any second I needed him. For the house that we live in, for the food that we have, for, for our leaders and for our family. We've got a lot going for us. If you turn on the news for two seconds, you'll realize how much we have to be grateful for. And a Friday night and a Sunday morning should never be the only time we turn around to thank God. That's good. And lastly, the aha moment. For the very first time, these disciples said, truly, you are the Son of God. Miracles had always been for other people, but this time, this one was for them. And we speak on, man, like, I was a classic church kid, and I would go tell people, like, how much God loves them and comforts you and how he's always there. And, you know, we help out our friends and have faith for them during their storms. But when it's our time, we panic and say, oh, God, you're not there. You don't really care about me. We know this stuff with our heads, but we don't get it in our heart. The disciples need to be put in a place where God was literally the only way out. It was so necessary for them to go through this. The disciples were calling him a worldly king. And if he didn't get, if Jesus didn't get his own followers to realize who he really was, that's all they would ever think of him. And so who's Jesus to you guys? Have you ever seriously thought and just examined where your heart's at and been like, man, who is Jesus to me? Have you had this aha moment where you realize that he's more than some king? He's more than some dead guy? He's more than just someone who lived a long time ago? He's more than a healer and a comforter? But, like, he's actually alive and wants to talk to you and have this deep relationship with you. Where it's no longer reading your Bible because you have to or praying because you have to because your conscience is going to go crazy if you don't. But you actually want to. And where praying is like breathing. Like you just talk to God 24-7. It's not like a, okay, now I'm at church, now I talk to God. But it's just, you're, it's ongoing conversation that never stops. And for a lot of Christians, Jesus is just Savior. You know, when they're in trouble, it's help me, save me, do this for me. But Jesus isn't actually Lord over their life. Yeah, God wants to heal you. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you and rescue you. But he also wants so much more than that. Following Jesus wholeheartedly and handing over your life to him is the greatest adventure you guys will ever go on. 
The disciples' storm didn't define them. It defined who Jesus was. They finally got it. They finally had this aha moment where they're like, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. Like, I am walking with the son of God. You are good and you are holy and you are righteous. And I bet the rest of that boat ride was a whole lot different. Where they just knew and they understood God. And once the disciples got to the shore, they went back to doing ministry. But a lot of us don't make it there. The storm overtakes us and we're out. We're like, peace out, God, I'm done. Like, you didn't show up, see ya. And the reason the storm overtakes us is because we didn't know him, really know him. If God is just a savior to you, then he can fail. Because if he doesn't fix it, then he's failed. But when God is Lord, he never fails because you know that he is always working everything together for your good. That our life is in his hands and he's not letting go. And if you only believe in Jesus and go to church because your parents do, I honestly have been praying tonight that there's going to be some aha moments where Jesus isn't just someone you hear about or talk about, but he's seriously the God of your life. And like PK said, Jesus is coming back. And one day we're going to stand before God, and I don't want him to say, Natasha, I know your mom, I know your brother, I know your husband, I know your friends, but I don't know you. I don't want to get there for him to say that. I want him to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to say, you obeyed me. And when we know him and follow him, God gives us the same authority that he has. Jesus walked on the water to show that he has authority over Satan. And when Peter walked on water, that signifies that when we believe and trust and follow Jesus, we have that same authority over Satan and darkness. So picture it like this. Okay. Is anyone familiar with the Hulk here? Shoot up the hands. Everyone knows the Hulk. Okay, so imagine the Hulk got married to Wonder Woman. Okay? And... They had this baby. Do you think that that baby would come out as this, like, scrawny little, like, whippy kid? Nope. That kid would be, like, massive. Like, muscles just popping out of everywhere. Okay, well, we are made in God's image. God is powerful and God is mighty, and we are made in that image. God is... Hello? There we go. <laughs> Vibe killer. That's okay. We'll pick it back up. <laughs> we are made in God's image. God is mighty and powerful, and we're made in that image. We're not these weak creatures roaming the planet. Through God's Holy Spirit, He empowers us and strengthens us and gives us wisdom and courage, and we have the same authority over darkness and sickness and death and storms. In Jesus' name. You are not walking around this planet weak. But you guys got to step out and use that authority. Peter had to step out of the boat. We need to get out of the car and pray for that person on the side of the road. We need to stand up for the kid who gets bullied. We need to go up to people and speak Jesus' name. We need not to numb ourselves and run away when our parents announce their divorce, but we need to stare into the eyes of Jesus. 
if your parent dies, will you still look at God and say, I will still love you, Lord? If your parents divorce, if you lose all your money, if you don't get into the school you want, if you get diagnosed with this disease or disability, will you still look into the eyes of Jesus and say, God, I will still love you, and I will still trust you, and I am still going to follow you? Can I have the worship team come back up? And so how do we do all this? That was a lot of information. How can we have this aha moment? How can we walk in the authority that God gave us? How can we have faith and not allow our storms to be our identity? And here's the answer. Just stop. God is chasing after you first. You're not chasing after him first. He's always been chasing after you. You can't run away without him chasing you. He's the God who will leave the 99 to chase after the one that fell astray. He's the God who never gives up. He's the one who forgives and saves and redeems and strengthens, and he's going to bring peace when it doesn't make sense, and you can't earn it, and you're never going to deserve it. But he died for that. And we just have to respond to what to the arm that's already been reaching out to us our entire lives. But we need to wait on him. We live in a world of wanting things fast and easy. Like this skinny pill was invented, so you can literally do no work and have fast results, but it doesn't work anyways. And we have this app so that our phones basically do life for us. And like this fast, easy, no work kind of motto happened in the Bible too. The Israelites, they said, Moses, you go up on the mountaintop. You pray, you wait on God for as long as it takes, you kind of do all the work, and then you kind of come down and tell us what to do and, and help us do everything. And we do the same thing. Pastor Kyle, Pastor Natasha, can you guys go up on the mountain here from God and then tell me what to do with my life? Can you guys just, like, pray for my family and talk to them and fix it and then come back and get me? But God wants you guys to go on the mountaintop and seek him for yourself and hear him and listen to him. He wants to have this conversation with you. There's no shortcuts when it comes to your faith. There's no fast way. There's no app for this. And waiting sometimes means being still. And it also looks like reading the Bible and, and praying. We need to know what the Bible says. The more we, we, we learn about God, the more we understand why he did and who he is. And the more we understand what he's asking for, from us, and the more we understand what he says about us. Everyone stand. Thanks again for listening to the Intensity Youth Podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you hit that button. And we just hope that you receive something from this podcast today. God bless.